Today on Anime Spectacular, I've got a special interview with Lucas Cantor, the composer of the great anime Cannon Busters. And I'll interview him about his career, uh, his various music he's worked on, and so much more. And it all starts now. Streaming on the web since 1996. This is the Cinematic Sound Radio Network. I am Randy Andrews. I'm with Anime Spectacular on Cinematic Sound Radio, and I have Lucas Cantor with me. Uh, Lucas, it's good to have you on Anime Spectacular. Fantastic to be here. Uh, I wanted to start off by asking you what started your career in film composing or even composing in general? Uh, well, I went to um, I went to music school, so uh, I got my degree from SUNY Purchase in jazz performance on the guitar because I played guitar. It just seemed like a cool thing to do. I was a fan of jazz, and I had to sort of pick one way of understanding music or another, and jazz just seemed more accessible than classical music to me at the time. I also was living in New York, which is sort of a you know central hub of jazz music. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, so that's so that's how I uh, so so I've always I guess. I guess I've always known I wanted to be a musician of some kind, but I didn't really know that film composing was a, was a job until I was um, in my late twenties. I was, uh, I got a job working in the music department for NBC sports and Olympics. And um, you know, they, they use some of the greatest music in the world uh, in NBC sports to tell stories. Um, but they also, you know, under highlights as with any sports show, sometimes there's just kind of rock music, you know, and it sounded to me as I was working there, it sounded to me, kind of generic. And I was working, um, for a great guy who let me, um, borrow his studio. Uh, and I thought, you know, I could make some of this music. And so I did, uh, I made some like, you know, guitar driven sports type music. And that's kind of what started my, I wouldn't say it started my composing career, but it started my, uh, like it, it sort of showed me that you could be a composer professionally. After I did that for a few years and did some commercials and so on in New York, I decided to move out to Los Angeles because this is sort of where the where the, the main scene for composing happens. When I moved out here, I, I really wanted to work for Hans Zimmer because I had heard through the grapevine that he had this compound with just a bunch of composers who all learned from each other and, you know, worked on each other's stuff. And that it just sounded like a really amazing environment to be in. And um, I was just lucky enough to like know someone who knew someone who happened to need an intern at the exact time that I was moving. And so I started working there for a guy named Michael Levine. And I uh, worked there for about a year and a half. And then Michael and I got uh, a job that changed my life a little bit. We did the Everybody Wants to Rule the World uh, cover for Lord. So it was mm-hmm. this Lord had on the Hunger Games soundtrack. And, um, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a minor hit for Lord, but it was a major big deal for me and sort of got me some meetings and helped me be taken a little bit more seriously. So I did a lot of trailers and, and stuff like that. And, and then a good friend of mine from the Hans Zimmer days – I uh, got a show called Spirit Riding Free on Netflix, which is another animation show, and it's uh, it's awesome. It's you know it's about uh, girls riding horses, and it's you know geared towards uh, like thirteen ish year old uh, audience. But it's a really fun show. The music was really sophisticated and uh, involved a lot of guitars and mandolins and stuff that I enjoy playing and, and I'm pretty good at. And then that around the same time, I ended up working on Cannon Busters because I was in a 
studio. So I have some co-writers on Cannon Busters. Um, I was in a studio um, and my studio neighbors were uh, these guys who um, go by Radium Media. Those two composers that you'll see their names on the show. It's uh, Bradley Denniston and Kevin Beggs. You know, they have some experience in film. Uh, Bradley does specifically, but they're more geared towards like hip hop and mixing. They, they originally hired me to just do some orchestrations for them. And then eventually that just sort of morphed into us writing the show together. So that's the uh, that's the abbreviated version from, you know, from college to Cannon Busters.
Did you ever get a chance to actually meet Hans Zimmer? Uh, yeah, I met him. I mean, I met uh, Hans and, you know, all the other composers that were over there. Uh, Ramin Dejawi, who does Game of Thrones, has a studio there. And um, uh, Jimmy Levine, who does uh, a lot of television shows, I think notably Glee. And uh, at that time, he was doing American Horror Story. And, you know, I sort of I, I met all these guys, but I was I was a pretty low person on the totem pole. Probably the best moment for me at Remote Control was uh, I, I started playing banjo when I moved there. And our studio, Michael's studio, was across the, was across the hall from uh, a guy named Hator Pereira. And Hator scored uh, – he does all the Despicable Me, I think. And I think he did Rio. And he, does, he I mean he's just – he's like a really A-list animation composer. Just really and, – and his thing is that he plays a lot of different uh, spectrum instruments like guitars and banjo and so on. And, uh, and he's, you know, he's someone I really admire and respect who's, who's done really great work. And so I was practicing banjo one day with the door closed, but you know, the, the banjo so loud, the door being closed doesn't really matter. And mm-hmm. Haytor knocked on the door and, um, he just popped his head in and he's just a super nice guy. He's like, I'm sorry to disturb you. I just, you know, you sounded great. I just wanted to say that you sounded really good. <laughs> uh, so that was probably my best moment at remote control was Haytor Pereira saying that I sounded pretty good on banjo.
projects have stood out for you in your composing career? What has really stood out for you? I mean, as an artist, always it's the most recent one that I'm the most proud of, mm -hmm. you know? And most recently I did a piece for SoftBank, which is a hedge fund, and they do an annual conference every year and they asked me to write them a small symphony for their conference this year. I was able to write it and record it and I'm going to be releasing it on, you know, every channel um, in the next couple of months. Uh, it's not it's not quite ready for release yet, but it's called mm -hmm. uh, SoftBank Symphonia and it's um it's uh, about an hour long um, piece for octet, so it's um it's not a standard octet, it's a string quartet with an extra violin and an extra cello and two pianos. It's a really interesting piece, I think, and it was really fun to write it. We were able to, I, I did it utilizing artificial intelligence to um, to generate some of the melodies that are in the piece, which is, uh, which is an interesting thing to do. And then earlier this year, I finished Schubert's Unfinished Symphony with the help of artificial intelligence. And that piece has been really interesting because, first of all, it was a symphony, so I, or I guess it was half a symphony because he wrote two movements and I wrote two movements. I've gotten to travel around with that one a little bit, perform it in, in London and Mexico, and uh, I'm going to be a visiting artist at a university in Taiwan in uh, next October, I think, and they're going to perform it there. So um, those two have been really interesting for me, largely because they're concert works, and I, I really enjoy um, sort of doing pure music and putting it right in front of an audience because I, I think that helps me to to make the film music better because when you're doing a film you're, you're, uh, or, a, or a television show, you know, you're, you're trying to serve the story first and foremost. And so uh, to be able to practice your music chops and then bring that back into uh, servicing uh, a story and storytelling is, is really sort of a rare treat for me. So mm -hmm. I really when you started working on Cannon Busters and thinking about the storytelling aspect of it, had you realized that it was a comic book before it became an anime? Well, so Cannon Busters was an interesting project for a lot of reasons. Uh, yes, I did realize that it was a comic book because uh, Bradley and um, and Kevin, who I mentioned uh, at Radium Media, are they're, they're friends with LaShawn. This was really their job that they brought me in on, um, and I think I ended up being a, an integral part of it. But um, but it was you know it was their baby, and they did the original like the original five minute teaser that's online that I'm sure everyone who's a fan has seen. Um, they did that before I met them. For Cannon Busters, what we got was, you know, for typically for animation, when you're scoring animation, when it gets to the composer, it's like a um, what they call an animatic, which is, you know, the timing is there, but sometimes the frames aren't in color. Some some of the effects aren't finished. Uh, oftentimes, I, I always find this funny. Oftentimes, there's no hair on any of the characters because apparently that's mm -hmm. sort of an intense visual effect that happens at the end. And so usually you get that, but it, you know, and, and so it's kind of raw, but it's enough to tell the story and enough to show you where the hit points are and. Um, and so you score to that while they're finishing the visual effects. As far as I know, every single frame in Cannon Busters is hand-drawn. The animatic stage didn't exist. So they gave us uh, LaShawn storyboards, which are extremely detailed, and a list of um, cues that they wanted, call, and which they called a music menu. And we essentially made them between 80, 70 and 80 individual tracks that we had some idea where they were going to go in the in the show, but we didn't know entirely where they were going to go. So, um, so it was a different experience. So we we sort of we viewed it as like just you know we we just wanted to make the track sound as good as they could, and then give them as much flexibility to tempt them in wherever they like. So a lot of the times we knew what scene they were going to go in, but we didn't know exactly what that scene looked like. That's really fascinating because you've you basically had to work 
from scratch uh, with just the storyboards to help you. Mm-hmm. Were there any provided uh, means of written dialogue or written story that you could access to be able to understand maybe the feelings of the score of how you may have wanted to uh, attach music to it? Yeah, we had all the scripts. Uh, Bradley, who was, you know, really the lead person on this and had been working on it the longest, um, was was really good at, you know, just sort of figuring out where stuff went and giving notes and making sure that it all was part of the universe. That was that was really his world. Um, and I read all the scripts. I looked at all the storyboards. Uh, for me, the um, the main thing was trying to make the music just tell a story on its own. And the cues that I did, I, I just I really wanted to make them. Uh, make them sing. And that, that was the same thing that, you know, Bradley and I collaborated on a lot of stuff and Kevin and I collaborated on a lot of stuff. And our, our goal was just to make the music sound as good as we possibly could, because part of the genius of, you know, and I don't know if this is specific to anime or if this is just something LaShawn wanted to do, but part of the genius of it is when they edit to music, you, you, when you edit to music, it, I think it's, you, you can make the edits more exciting. You can generate a lot more energy. And I think that the, um, my, my experience in sports taught me that also is like those, those editors who do the, you know, those intense like promos for sporting events, usually they'll take a track and they'll cut to the track. Whereas in film music, usually you're taking video and you're trying to make your music sync up with that video. So uh, I think it was really like when I watch Cannon Busters and I see some of those, some of those car chases and just those action scenes, it really, I think it's just taken to the next level by the fact that they cut it to music that they already had. Th- that was music that they had asked for. So, I mean, LaShawn and the team over there gave us notes when we would give them, uh, when we would give them tracks and they say, Oh, we want it to be more this way, or we want more of this instrument and less of that instrument. And so they really got it the way they wanted it. And then they animated to it. Uh, it was a cool way to work. I would, I would love to do it again.
I think that's a very fascinating way of looking at uh, the composing world because I don't think I've interviewed anyone that's been able to look at it in that way before. And you're working from something that essentially they started just from the animation because there had only been one comic created for the series. Yeah. Yeah, I've never worked that way before. And um, as a as a film composer, I found it sometimes challenging because, you know, you want to help tell the story. And I'm, I'm used to telling the story in a specific way, you know, but w- with a specific process. But as a musician and as a, you know, just as a composer, I loved it because there was so much freedom to just to just write the music that, you know, and just make the music serve itself. And I know that Bradley and Kevin felt the same way that we, we were able to just sort of express ourselves. And I think um, in a in, in a different way than you're usually allowed to in, in the medium of uh, animation. And I think that, you know, I think that that was probably one of a lot of decisions that was made at the production level, at LaShawn's level, that made Cannon Buster so special is I think he probably did everything a little bit differently. I think that's probably what made it came up come out as good as it did. When you're doing the composing, are you using digital means to record or uh, do you write your own notes or how does that work for you? Yeah, we had we had like a really great system on Cannon Busters because, like I mentioned, uh, Bradley and Kevin uh, at Radio Media and I were in studios next to each other. So they had their their business and I had mine, but our studios were literally right next to each other. So we were able to just pop in and sort of help each other out, you know, and we're, we're all sort of audio nerds. And we made the decision early on that we wanted to record. So we wanted everything that we could to be as live as possible. You know, as film composers, you get really good at mocking stuff up. Um, and sometimes sometimes your mock-up is what ends up in the movie. But um, what we would do is just sort of digitally create whatever track we were doing, send that over to uh, production for their comments. And then once they liked it, we would record it with uh, with live instruments. And we never were able to do like a full orchestral session for Cannon Busters, but... Um, you know, we were we were able to get some uh, some players on there, but yeah, we we wanted to record every we wanted to get as much um, as much live instrumentation on there as we could. So we would hire uh, you know horn players and just individual musicians. I played a lot of I played a lot of stuff on Cannon Busters, so guitar and uh, bass, and we had a lot of sort of ethnic strings and some percussion that I played on on different things. Um, so everything that could be live was live, but we didn't do uh, like a real. It's a mixture of in the box and live. Like most things mm-hmm. are. I, I imagined that it would be considered that way uh, since there's so many elements of the the series that are so vibrant and um, unique. And it has its own, it almost has its own culture, so to speak, inside the, the series. Yeah, a lot of that was, that, that's exactly how we saw it and exactly how we wanted to approach it. And Bradley did a lot of the sketches of the original melodies, brought a, brought a lot of these really sort of like Bradley has this really original, unconventional style of writing melodies and harmonies that is, it's just different. I don't know. I don't know what his, I don't know how he developed it, but it's different. And it's perfect for the show because Cannon Busters takes place in like a, a non-standard universe. And so having music that was grounded in traditional Western music, but also a little bit different was I think was exactly the right fit. Um, so oftentimes Bradley would write a melody and send it over to me. Um, and then I would play, you know, 
say like the side of a bongo drum on it, you know, and then mm-hmm. play guitar in a in just in a in an interesting or different style than I would usually play. Just to just to give it like a like especially for the sort of Botica Kingdom stuff. I just everything I played on there. I think I think I played a um like a one of those five gallon water bottles as a bass drum in some things, and I and I just sort of was banging on random pieces of plastic and stuff that I could find because I didn't want I, I wanted it to sound just otherworldly. You know, mm-hmm. the rhythms that I was playing were just pretty typical rhythms. And then the other thing that we did and the, the thing that um, Bradley and Kevin are really masters of is just getting styles right. So, for example, for the car chase, there, there's in the first episode, there's this car chase and there's this like Herbie Hancock type track that we did. And that one was um, I'm, I'm just really into funk. I used to be in a funk band in New York City. And so I just did like what I thought would be like a really cool funk track. And then Bradley and Kevin uh, were able to take it to the next level and mix it to sound like really incredible. We had all live players on it, but it was all recorded remotely. So we would, you know, send it to a drummer and he would send us back drum tracks. Um, and then, uh, and then they were able to put that all together and make it sound like it was one band in one room. And like that sounds to me like just authentic sort of funk, but then some of the Botica stuff, I, I think you would have trouble placing what style of music was. It just is just, you know, it's just sort of different ethnic sounding music. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherworldly sounding music that explains a lot about uh those scenes where you see uh Bodica and that uh i guess kingdom so mm-hmm. to speak um because they're you know wandering through this world and uh you see various like western towns and uh small towns and weird stations and everything that's what we were going for is that the the whole show is a mixture of um completely novel and totally familiar like you know the, mm-hmm. the western is is a genre that is well known and well uh documented and well um uh cliched you know and uh it would have been very easy to just do you know whistling and trumpets um over those scenes but that's not what it demanded because it was just a because in cannon busters even though it is a western it's um, it's a Western in a different world, but so we, we wanted to have those, um, some of the elements be familiar, but also have them be, uh, different and otherworldly so that, um, to, to match the surroundings. And that was just a decision we made from, you know, we didn't see the finished thing or, or I didn't see the finished film until it was on Netflix. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad. And, and I think a lot of that was LaShawn and, uh, and Bradley just kind of having a vision for it and guiding it in the direction that it needed to, needed to go. I'm glad to have helped, but, you know, I think they're, they're really the ones that, that made that vision come to life. Still, your contribution to it has really blossomed that anime um, into the mainstream, mm-hmm. and a lot of people now are recognizing it, and I'm sure that it will move forward with another season. I hope so. It was a really, really fun show to work on, and I hope... Uh, yeah, I hope we get to do another season. It would be really fun. I'd love to see where the story goes. I, I uh, you know, I, I'd like to see where all the characters end up. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so a question that I like to ask composers is if you had a dream job to compose something from the past or present that would be, say, not what you normally would do, what would it be and why? So to to compose 
like something that already exists? Maybe. Or something that is part of a current genre or a current type of film. Uh, something that you would love to contribute to. Oh, I want to write for on a Star Trek show. Nice. Yeah, I mean, hands down. I, I don't need to think about it. I want to write on a Star Trek show. I'm a big fan of the universe. I've always loved Star Trek. I've always loved the music from Star Trek. And, you know, so anyone listening who is producing a Star Trek show, please give me a call. All right. I will put that word out. <laughs> yeah, please do. Because you need all the support that you can get. But, Lucas, it's been a real pleasure to be able to get a chance to talk to you today. I'd like to ask you, where can people find your work? The easiest place is uh, lucascantermusic.com. Just go to my website. Um, also, if anyone has any questions or any follow-up questions, the the like email link there, the you know contact me goes right to my email. So I'm happy to um, I'm happy to answer anyone's questions, and uh, I'm pretty good at at getting back directly. So lucascantermusic.com, uh, a bunch of my music is up there, and an easy way to reach me is there as well. All right. That's fantastic. I hope uh, that we get a chance to see more of your music through Cannon Busters in the near future.
Thank you for listening to Cinematic Sound Radio. I want to thank Tim Burden for providing his voice for all the bumpers and stingers you hear throughout the program, and David Cassina for providing Cinematic Sound Radio's theme music. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email us at cinematicsound at yahoo.com. You can find us on social media at Sound Radio on Twitter and Cinematic Sound on Facebook. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please take a moment right now to rate and review the show. It really helps us rise through the ranks and helps potential new listeners find the show. And don't forget to check out Cinematic Sound Radio at cinematicsound.net. <laughs>